And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Liam Golliger, the senior pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Dr. Golliger, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you very much for asking me. I always enjoy our conversations. We uh, hear regularly from you every Sunday on No Falling Word, so our listeners are familiar with you if they happen to tune in that time of the day that we air it. Um, Today, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about family. Uh, Originally, we thought we were going to have this interview leading up to Valentine's Day, and uh, for one reason or another, it didn't work out. But I still love the theme of a family theme, but at a higher level, that of looking to God, uh, the maker of covenants, the, the maker of covenantal continuity, if you will. And so um, I'd like to talk about this. Uh, how does God work? Uh, maybe we could start off kind of simply. Uh, suppose we go back in the pages of Scripture and we keep flipping our Bible and we get into the Old Testament and uh, we see, we start learning about God and his people. And then we flip over to the New Testament. We learn about God and his people some more. Um, are there two plans of salvation, or, or is it more? Can we start there? Are there two plans of salvation in the scriptures? Well, I think let's, let's just start even a step before that to say that Holy Scripture is one book. Uh, in order to come to a knowledge of the Christian God, we need the Old Testament, as we call it, uh, which prepares our mind, which gives us the tools, the intellectual and mental tools, as well as the history of God's revelation of himself to his people, his choosing of Israel, his work uh, with Israel, which is preparation for the coming of the church. Um, if we go... If we go back where we must always go back to to Abraham, when the first great uh, promise of the Messiah uh, is made with greater clarity that the seed of Abraham would be the one who would bring blessing to the Gentiles. And most of us who are listening to this broadcast are Gentiles. We're not Jews by descent. And... uh, there to Abraham, God makes it very clear that his great big picture is that there would be salvation for the world. It's anticipated there. It's, it's repeated again when Jacob is blessing Judah that the, uh, the scepter, the, the royal authority wouldn't depart from Judah until he comes, the one who's coming, the seed of Abraham, to whom all the nations would gather and through whom all the nations would be blessed. So, just that one thread there uh, reminds us that the Bible is one coherent book that we cannot, we can't have the New Testament or understand, hope to understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is bigger than the New Testament because the New Testament authors assume you're reading the Old Testament to understand what they're saying. So, so that's the first that's the first level, I would say. And the second is to say that <clears throat> the story of salvation is one story from beginning to end. If we take the Bible as one book, <clears throat> then we're led to understand that the story of salvation is one big story. 
from the first promise made to Adam and Eve outside the Garden of Eden, a promise they believed with respect to their children, and then the way in which that promise is passed on from generation to generation uh, throughout the rest of uh, Scripture until it comes true, when Jesus comes into the world. I'll pause there for breath so you get a chance to interrupt me. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's excellent. Um, So, in the Old Testament, um, you're right, it's it's really one book, but, you know, we kind of break it into old and new. Um, We see this Adam and Eve, and we see that um, they're looking forward with faith to um, the Redeemer of God's elect, basically. And um, this one coming, who is the Savior, is going to crush the serpent's head, I believe the language is. Yeah, it's the promise that the mess caused by the fall will be rectified and that the the coming, the seed of the woman, and it's interesting the way that's put, isn't it? The seed of the woman, not, not the seed of the couple. You know, which is probably, you know, you would say to to a man and woman, yeah. your children, or one of your children. But the way the promise is phrased and framed is interesting. The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, that is, Satan's head. We know it's Satan that's being referred to because the last book of the Bible helps us to understand the first book of the Bible. And there, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, is is clarified, is named as the as what's the the one who's in view there in Genesis three fifteen, um, and the unfolding of Scripture is the unfolding of the works of the devil on the one hand, and the way in which, out of the mass of humanity represented by Adam and Eve, is whittled down to Noah, then to Abraham then to Judah, then to Bethlehem, then to Mary, and to Jesus. And, uh, which is why the, 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 the New Testament begins with Matthew, and his genealogy begins with Genesis. It's, in fact, he even uses the language of Genesis. This is the genealogy of, this is the beginning of Jesus. Just as the way the book of Genesis unfolds, that's, those are the divisions of the book of Genesis. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. These are the generations of Adam. These are the generations of forever. Um, takes up the same language in order to show the continuity between Genesis and Matthew. And the cumulative effect of that through these characters that are listed there in the genealogy of Jesus, which reach their fruition and culmination in the angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph and the promise that the one who will be born of Mary, the one who is born of the woman, without his interference or contribution, will be called God with us. And he's given the name Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is the Savior, the Lord who is the Savior. It will be the name he'll be known as. Um, that it culminates in in the Savior and Redeemer Jesus Christ. Uh, so th- that that is that's the flow of the of the Bible story, really. 
Um, and then in 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 coming to that final conclusion, what we see what we see throughout the Old Testament is the way in which God therefore works in families. He works in the family of the Messiah, really, in anticipation of the Messiah coming. Um, and the way in which individuals like Rahab, who is a Gentile woman and a prostitute, is converted and brought into the covenant family. Uh, somebody like Ruth, who is a Moabitess, belongs to a tribe that was the ancient enemies of Israel, is converted and becomes an ancestor of Jesus, the Messiah. Um, the, the God is working in families to bring to a conclusion the arrival of the Messiah himself. That's a fantastic <laughs> uh, thing, isn't it? Uh, it that, is. That God should do that. Um, you're ready to drop. <laughs> the last time I was on, I talked too much. So no, you you never talk too much for me. I I really don't actually have too much to say. I I enjoy listening. Um, so there were never two plans of salvation. There was only one plan. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. So so Abraham. It's very clear with the the Abraham. Paul says about Abraham. Abraham had the gospel preached to him. He says in Galatians, Abraham had the gospel preached to him. God comes to Abraham and uh, he says, Abraham, through your seed, and that's singular, through your singular seed, who will be born of you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it says in chapter 15 that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, what Amen. was counted to him as righteousness? Was it his faith, or was it the promise he was given that he believed uh, that caused him to be, caused him to be in a state of righteousness? The apostle Paul actually expounds on that in Romans chapter four, where again he says that Abraham had the gospel preached to him, and it, by believing the promise of the Messiah, he was believing in the Messiah. He was believing in the Messiah who was to come. Abraham was saved by faith in Jesus Christ in anticipation of Jesus Christ, just as we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ by looking back to his coming and, and his life, death, burial, resurrection, and so on. Yeah. So, so, so that Paul is making it clear in, in Romans 4, and he makes it clear in Galatians that Abraham believed the gospel, because that's what the gospel is, that through the seed of Abraham, Jesus, all the families of the earth, that is the nations, not just Jew, the Jews, but all the nations are going to be blessed with the blessing of eternal salvation. Um, so you have that, you have a promise given in chapter 12, Abraham goes out in faith, he, the, the promise is clarified and believed in, in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 17, God gives him an outward and visible sign that he should apply to all of the male, all of his male descendants in his family uh, as, a, as an indicator that they believe the promise 
of the Messiah. And that, of course, is circumcision. Unlike the nations round about, even those that practice circumcision, the Jews never practiced the circumcision of women, ever. They only practiced the circumcision of men. Why? Because it was to be a male who would be the Messiah, number one. And two, uh, when the promise was fulfilled, the Messiah's blood would be shed. There would be, it was a promise made in blood. And, uh, and so therefore, the, the shedding of blood was associated with the promise of the coming Messiah. Until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, his blood was shed in circumcision as a baby, but his blood was shed on the cross for our salvation. And in the New Covenant, we have the same promise of God, i.e. that our salvation comes from the seed of Abraham, Jesus. But this time, the sign of the covenant is not given to men only or boys only. The sign of the covenant is water, which is a symbol both of the washing away of sin and of the rivers of joy of the Holy Spirit. Um, Baptism is the new covenant sign of the same promise that God made to Abraham. The only difference being that Abraham's looking forward to it happening the blood will be shed. Circumcision. In the new covenant, the blood has been shed and now it's only cleansing and renewal by the Holy Spirit that is poured out and signified in baptism. Mm. You know, um, I'm thinking of an imperfect illustration here. Um, earlier today, I I looked out... Um, in our backyard, we we live kind of in the boonies, and there's woods behind our house, un, kind of unlike where you are in Philadelphia. Um, so I looked out in the woods, and um, I just quickly looked out, and I saw something. And then I looked closer, then I looked really closer, and I realized, wait a minute, there's an owl sitting in that tree, and he was perfectly, perfectly camouflaged. I even matched the color and everything and i thought that's amazing what god does but um as imperfect as the analogy is sometimes um we'll look at scripture and then we don't maybe we're not reading scripture enough to see the connections and then once we start seeing these things we say well how on earth could i have missed that before because then when i looked out into the woods uh, I couldn't see anything but this owl. I mean, it was obvious. He was right there. But he was yeah, yeah, was kind of yeah. hidden to me because I, I really wasn't absorbing uh, the full picture. Um, perhaps that's the way it is with me as I uh, have a weak attempt at reading the Scripture. I'll get up in the morning, and sometimes I don't even read the Bible, but most of the time I do, and, and I'll, I'll read a small portion of Scripture. But I'm not reading enough, and, and I, I'm not soaking in Old Testament, New Testament, the Psalms, the Proverbs, and there's a whole complete picture, isn't there? This is just kind of yeah. practical theology at this point, how important it is to to feed ourselves on the Word of God so that we can get the full yeah. picture. Yeah, yeah. 
And one, one, one illustration I can give you, I mean, the, the, of the significance of, of the Old Testament, you take a book, I think it was intended to be one book, we call the book Ezra and Nehemiah as if they're two books, but actually they're probably meant to be together, and they were together in the Jewish Bible. And the, the events of that book happen after Malachi, the last prophet, has prophesied. And uh, the, the coming of Ezra to Jerusalem. And they tell the story of the Jews who have been in exile coming back to Jerusalem. First of all, to rebuild the temple. And then after 50 years of doing nothing, they sink into idolatry again and so on. And, and Malachi comes, confronts them, and eventually Ezra comes. And he finds them intermarried with the nations around, and they've got the nations, pagan gods, abominations. And he, he's upset. He, he grieves. The people realize what they've done is wrong. They repent. And they put away their foreign wives and they put away the foreign gods and they cleanse themselves and they get their act together. Now, why is that in the Bible? Is that Has that any relevance to Christians? Well, the relevance to Christians is that the promises in the prophets were that when Messiah came, he would come to Judah and he would come to Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah says that in a single day in Jerusalem, the Messiah would put away sin. Um, if the Jews didn't go back to Jerusalem, and if the Jews that went back to Jerusalem weren't made holy, didn't have a revival as it were, and rediscover the law. I mean, when Ezra came back, he came back with the scriptures. They didn't have the scriptures. They didn't have the knowledge of the, the law of God or the, or the Old Testament prophets or whatever. Ezra brings them there. And Ezra's responsible, basically, for having Israel come back to the law, study the law, so that by the time Jesus comes, they have the Bible and they have the worship of the temple and they have all the things in place that we need to make sense of who Jesus is and why Jesus has come into the world. In other words, these rather random books in the Old Testament are absolutely vital for the salvation of the world. And the reason Ezra grieves when he comes and he sees these Jews all intermarried, losing their religion effectively, is that he knows that if they lose their religion, the world will not have the blessing of Abraham. The families of the earth will lose the blessing promised to Abraham. So the gospel depends on the work of a man like Ezra and Nehemiah, doing simple things like bringing spiritual renewal, getting the people back to the Bible, in Ezra's case, and then building the city of Jerusalem, in Nehemiah's case. Mm. Yeah. And constantly it seems that God mentions families. It seems to be on his heart a great deal. When we have a young one, and I'm a grandpa now, so my wife and I are, are done having little ones, but now we have grandchildren. Yeah. And we we see those grandchildren as God's gift to their parents, and that we don't see them as random. We see it differently um i don't know maybe you could comment on that how do you how do you see your grandchildren 
Yeah, we've we've got eleven of them now, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> the tribe increases. But uh, uh, yeah, it's a, absolutely an observation that in the Old Testament, God always works in families. That's the way He works. He works through families, and you find that in the New Testament. You find that when Paul's writing to Timothy, and he talks about his mother and his grandmother. I mean, I think of my own mother and yeah. my own grandmother. Who, my grandmother was very influential in my Christian life and upbringing. My grandmother, who talked to me about 10th Presbyterian Church when I was a little boy, like with four or five, and about Dr. Barnhouse, who was minister here, that she had heard in Glasgow in 1939 or whatever. And uh, that's not when she told me that, by the way. I wasn't around in 1939, just <laughs> to be clear. But <laughs> but, uh, but the the way in which... God works through families and our children and our grandchildren uh, are gifts of God and when children are born into a Christian family by definition they have a different relationship uh with the church and yes. with the world than children who are, born, who are not born into a Christian family. Totally different relationship altogether. Um, I mean, when, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching and he says to the people, this promise, that is the promise God made to Ab- Abraham, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This promise, along with the promise of salvation, is for you and your children. And for all whom the Lord your God will call. Amen. Uh, and now, if we believe that, this will affect the way we bring our children up. Um, I remember my wife and I had, at that stage, only we had only three of our children at this stage, and uh, we eventually had five. And we went to a, a conference in Scotland and. A man called William Still, who had been minister in Aberdeen, I think he was minister for about 50 years in Aberdeen, uh, and uh, he was the kind of the grand old man of Scottish evangelicalism, great fellow man. And uh, I remember he took my wife and I aside, and and he said, uh, he said, I hope, I hope you won't be like many of these evangelical people who bring their children up in fear. In other words, fear that they won't become Christians. Fear that they'll sow their wild oats and that they'll be lost. Mm. He said, I I hope you bring your children up in faith that they will become Christians, not in fear that they won't. Amen. Amen. And that was, I have to say, one of the most helpful things anybody has ever said. In fact, the, the only advice I think we've been given by anybody that most helps us in the in the rearing of our children. Um, because if you think about it for a moment, if you bring, bring your children up in fear that they won't become Christians, what do you tend to do? You, you tend to become claustrophobic. You tend to be over-anxious, and you communicate that anxiety to the children. You become afraid that they're going to get into worldly things, and 
so you come down on them like a ton of bricks. Yes. And the danger then is that you push them away. You push them away. It, it's so true. I, you know, I always my, my mother tended to, to come down on me with a ton of bricks. My grandmother didn't. I remember saying to my grandmother, <laughs> uh, <laughs> "What do you think of the Beatles, Grandma?" And uh, <laughs> 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 the Beatles were brand new. You know, they were just uh, and. Uh, and my mother, of course, would say, oh, I don't like the Beatles. My mother was really straight-laced. Uh, my grandmother said very wisely, they seem like sharp young men. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't criticize them. She didn't say their music was great. And, uh, but what she did was she gave me permission to think, oh, well, I can listen to Beatles music. But actually, if my grandma says, if my grandmother says they're sharp young men, then maybe they're not as important as <laughs> I thought they were. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and it kind of took the heat out of it. They didn't become a... That's exactly no right. It took a rebellion, the if you know what I mean. Yeah, it took the heat out yeah. of it. Now, um, yeah. we're out of time. We could talk for hours, from my perspective, but we're, we're out of time radio-wise. Um, if someone mm. wants to look you up online, look your church up, maybe attend there, Sunday. Um, what's the web address there? It's www.tenth.org. Well, that's pretty simple. Tenth.org. And where is your... Tenth ch- being the, the, the word, T-E-N-T-H, tenth.org. Gotcha. And we're, we're on the corner of 17th and Spruce in downtown Philadelphia. Very good. Well, we want to thank you very much for joining us today. There's so much more we could talk about, but I hope that this little discussion gives some perspective and encourages especially young parents to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and not with punishment in sight, but with anticipation of the blessing of God, with eternal salvation, and with the hope and the positiveness that Christ really brings to, uh, to a covenant child. Uh, Dr. Gallagher, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> <laughs> 